This is Pastor Chadwick King. I hope you enjoy the ministry of God's Holy Word today provided by the Promise Center Media Ministry. Please share this lesson or sermon with your friends and family. And may the Lord bless you. I had, a, I had an interesting thing happen. Um, you know, my wife and I were, were expected to be in San Antonio. Or our plan, the plan is we're going to be in San Antonio um, in the summertime. And, um, you know, when, when you're branching out, you're stepping out in faith to, to start a, a, a church, you know, from scratch, there's a lot that goes through your mind, you know. And so uh, today, as a matter of fact, I, I was thinking, uh, because Pastor uh, King, uh, Pastor Chad, he, he texts me, and, and I was, and, and, you know, probably about five to ten minutes before he texts me, I was thinking about, you know, the, 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 the structure of pastors that, that Maurice and I will have over our lives, you know, and, um, and, and, and God, you know, keep, keeps bringing Pastor Chad and Pastor Heidi you know, into our spirits, you know, about appointing them uh, uh, as pastors over our life when we go to San Antonio. And, and I think that that's pretty, pretty amazing, to be honest with you, to take, to take a piece of the Promise Center to San Antonio, Texas. I mean, can you imagine how amazing that would be? That would be just be incredible to have a piece of the culture and the dynamic and, 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 and the anointing of the local church here. And so, so with that said, I, I'm, I'm really excited uh, to be able to be here. If you're wondering why I'm wearing my jacket, it's because I, I feel a little under the weather. And so, um, you know, I, um, you know I'm, I'm a little cold, so I, I might have a, a fever. So if, if you come and shake my hands or something, and I, and I do this move like this, don't, don't take offense. I'm trying to look out for you, okay? So, um, but I said all that to say um, it's great to be back here within uh, the, the Promise Center at a service here. And uh, I do want to also dispense honor to, to your pastors. How many appreciate our pastors, Pastor Chad and Pastor Heidi King? We appreciate them very, very much. We love them very, very much. Um, and, uh, and, and Mikey is definitely right. There's a lot of great friends here. And, uh, you know, when he said he's that guy that, that you know, you can never get rid of, I, I thought to myself, well, I don't know if that's a good thing or, or a bad thing. But, but I'm going to pretend that's a good thing. I'm just kidding. I know that's a good thing. But uh, nonetheless, let, let's dive into the text today. I do believe that, that um, you know, God uh, wants to speak to somebody here today in, in a very special way. Uh, I'm going to invite you to think the text with me, if I can put it that way. And what that simply means is this, is, is we're going to be reading several passages of Scripture here today. And, and, uh, and I want us to, to open our minds and open our hearts and our spirits to what God is trying to say. Amen. And so um, you are the millennial generation. I heard somebody put it like this. You are that generation that's indecisive about whether or not I, I choose my parents' religion or I venture off and find my own faith. And so that, that curiosity starts at a very young age. You know, it starts at the age of five or six years old uh, for a lot of people. And, and uh, more and more as the years progress, people ask questions about faith, questions that you would never know. I mean, you'd be surprised how many times a, a mom or a dad will say, you know, my, my five or six-year-old has a question about God, and they ask this question about, like, the, the end time, you know, and I'm just like, whoa, that's, you know, I don't even know the answer to that, but they don't know if we'll make it up or not on the spot, so we just make it up and make them feel good, you know, about the answer. So that was a joke, but um, the, so what we're going to do right now is this, we're going to go to the book of, of Matthew chapter I'm sorry, is it Matthew? I'm sorry. Yeah, Matthew chapter number 12, verse number 1. And um, 
Before we, we read, uh, let's pray together, and then, and then we'll dive into the, uh, into the, um, into the, the, the word of God. Father, thank you so much for the power of your word, for who you are. God, we give you the glory, the honor, and the praise, and we say that there's no one like you. God, we ask that for the next few moments that the book of Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 would be manifested in this room and that you would breathe and discern us and that you would discern our thoughts and the intents of our hearts, that you would allow for us to know that your word is trying to heal us and trying to put things into perspective that can, that can really set us uh, on a level of success in our walk with you. God, we pray that your spirit will continue to hover over this place as it did in Genesis chapter 1 when your spirit hovered over the face of the deep. We pray that your spirit will also do the same here tonight. God, we pray in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. This is what it says. It says, uh, the book of Matthew chapter 12, verse 1, it says, at about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them, but some Pharisees saw them do it and protested. Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. And haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? I tell you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple, exclamation point. Um, For those of you that that are introduced to Jesus, you know, over the last month or the last maybe year of your life, let me just just kind of help expedite the process here and say that Jesus is going to be that figure in history with one sentence it merely takes them seconds to speak it, but it takes men lifetimes to digest it. It takes the world, it takes, it takes, it takes human libraries, cities and empires that are devoted to, to trying to, to, to break the code of, of Christ's sentences. And this is one of those sentences that Jesus speaks that really does shatter on the paradigm of his audience. And to bring the story to light here a little bit more, Jesus has disciples, and these disciples are following after Christ. That is the template for discipleship, to be a follower of your teacher and be somebody that does their best to live the life of your teacher by study, by by discipline, by meditation, by reflection, uh, by all of these different ways that a disciple should live their life in order to be like the teacher. And so this was the idea in Jesus' day, and that's the idea today. The idea is that we believe in something so much that we start to talk like that one we believe in. We start to live like that one we believe in. But every now and then, there comes a situation in our lives like the disciples of Jesus where the outside world, the outside systems, the outside codes and ethics of the world around us do everything in their power to sabotage the momentum that we have picked up over the last few seasons in walking with God. This is one of those times. Jesus and his disciples are hungry and his disciples are walking through a field and they reach and they simply just begin to pluck the morsels of grain from the heads of every single, uh, um, um, of of, of every every stick of grain in the field. And as they begin to, to eat, the critics are watching. Anybody have any critics in your life? Right? The critics are watching. And the critics begin to protest. And the critics begin to say, 
your disciples are breaking the law. There's a rule and there's a code. There's a conduct here in God's house and, and they are violating the law or the system that has been established in God's house or for the temple. But the disciples of Jesus, without realizing it, are stepping into new chapters of faith that they would have never thought possible. Here's what I mean by that. They reach a point in their walk with God where they are so hungry, their hunger and their, their, their hunger strikes at the same time as their teacher. You know you're close to somebody in life when you start to pick up their mood swings, when you start to act like them, and when you start to, to feel the emotions that they feel, and everybody's hungry, and that hunger causes them to reach outside of an ancient law that measured the conduct of their life, that measured their faith, that measured whether or not they were good enough to be followers of God. They began to eat because they're hungry. For some of us in this room here tonight, maybe you've been walking with God, as mentioned before, for a month, a year, six hours. Maybe that text message you got at 2 o'clock today said, hey, come to a young and free service. You started thinking, hey, maybe I'm going to try this Christian thing out. Can I tell you something? Your faith will cause for you to do things and go places and become something you never thought you could be. Can I tell you something? The world measures you by their ethics. You have to look a certain way. You have to talk a certain way. You have to walk a certain way. You have to begin to use the latest pop cultural term that describes awesomeness like everybody else. You got to hashtag it. You got to use this, this code and this, and this conduct because that is a measuring stick of how valuable you are. But can I tell you something? These disciples realized something in their walk with God that they no longer began to care about the systems of the world outside of their walk with God. I'm hungry, just like Jesus. I'm hungry when Jesus is hungry. I'm, I'm so passionate when Jesus is passionate. I'm so thirsty when Jesus is thirsty. Don't blame me. It's not my passion. It's the passion of Christ within me. It has taken me by storm. It has invaded my mind and made me better, challenged me, inspired me to leave behind some struggles and some addictions to be better. For some people in here, you've been told all your life, you're not good enough. Not good enough. You'll never ever measure to be the person that you're supposed to be in life because you look goofy. Let's just be honest. You have two left feet. Let's just be honest. You, you just, you, you, you know, you're, you're not, you, you don't fit in the mold of, 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 of hipness. Or maybe it's something more personal. Mom and dad oftentimes look at you and say, you're such an embarrassment. Can I tell you something? There are 30-year-old men and women that live their life based upon one conversation they had with somebody when they were 15 and 16 years old, and that conversation has forged 
their identity into who they are today. For some of us in here, you right now are that 15, 16-year-old that's hearing all types of things. And you're questioning your identity. You're questioning who you are. You're 15 years old looking in the mirror. You're saying, am I skinny enough? Am I bald enough? Am I, you know, am I this enough? Thank you, bro. Is it bad? It must be. I'm like, wow, this is unbelievable. Um, right? Thank you. Glory to God. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Today, there are 15, 16-year-olds that look in the mirror and we measure ourselves by what somebody said. You measure yourself by the code of the hallways of your high schools and middle schools, but we're 30 and 35-year-olds, and we measure ourselves by the value of the property we own. Do we own yet? Are we, are we, are we entrepreneurs? Are we successful? Do we have six figures? Have we ever hit six figures in our bank account? Are we innovators? Are we so progressive and are thinking that people look at us and say, that person is successful? Or are you the person that has been wandering around in circles for the last five years, in the late 20s, early 30s of your life, lost because you tried to measure yourself by what somebody else said about you a long time ago? But I love what, the, what Jesus says. Jesus looks at the critics and he says, don't you understand that you're measuring these people, my disciples who I love, by an ethic, by a code, by a, by a legalistic rule? But there is one greater than your rules in your midst. And I measure them with a different law, a different ethic, a different code. I measure them through the eyes of love and grace. So if they're good enough for Jesus, they're good enough for everybody else. I want you to repeat after me. I am good enough. So why am I good enough if I make mistakes? Why am I good enough if... If I constantly struggle with the same struggles in my life, why am I good enough if I'm reminded of my past failures? Why am I good enough if I'm reminded of the mistakes that I made some time ago in my life in my mid-20s? Or uh, why am I good enough if I'm reminded of, of what happened to me at a very young age whenever I was dropped off and uh, my parents entrusted me in someone else's care and they violated that trust? Why, why am I good enough when all of my life I feel that I have turned into a young man and a young woman whose character is so debauched, so corrupt because of someone else's mistakes? How is that possible? How can I be good enough? I want to read a passage of Scripture here in the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Yeah, we're, we're going to go to Revelation. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to get all freaked out right now, okay? <laughs> this is what it says. Revelation, chapter 21. This is, this is John on the island of Patmos. Now, you have to understand that John has given his life to the cause of being a disciple of Jesus. And it has led him 
to a desolate place where he shares an island with criminals and thieves. But he's a disciple of Jesus. I thought that once I gave my life to Jesus and I was measured by mercy and grace and love and all of these amazing things, that everything would be better. I, I thought that when I, when I covered myself in Christ through baptism and I put on Christ that everything would be better. Can I tell you that sometimes it doesn't work that way? I was reminded of that this last Monday when the Golden State Warriors <laughs> decimated the San Antonio Spurs. Now, can I tell you something? I was, Pastor, I was, I was dressed to kill. I mean, I had, I had, I had, a, war, I had, I had a, a, a warrior symbol at the bottom of my feet taped. I was walking around. I should say I was running around because there was a lot of unhappy people and I had to, you know, skedaddle really quick wherever I went. I had a hat, Spurs hat. I had a Spurs sweater. I had a, a Spurs jersey. I had a white and black scarf. I mean, I was decked out all Spurs, man. I was ready for this game. I waited for game one of the four games that we play the Warriors. Can I tell you something? That night around 11 o'clock, I was reminded <laughs> of the truth that says, Jacob, you can be a disciple of the San Antonio Spurs and still lose. You can dress the part and really be sincere and be a follower and be a fanatic and still have a bad day. And it's that way in our walk with God. We can dress in the teachings of Jesus we can be identified by who Jesus is and people look at us and say, there's something different about you. You're no longer the same person you used to be. There's actually a different vibe about you. You can, you can be literally filled with God's spirit all the way from the inside to where it seeps through the outside and still have a bad day. And that's just the way it is. So if I have bad days... And sometimes I don't feel good about myself, good about my faith, good about my spiritual life. How is it that God accepts me regardless of that? Now, I'm talking about people that are sincere followers of Jesus that are not perfect. They're not perfect. Watch this. The book of Revelation chapter 21, it says, John, he's describing new creation, and he says, the main street of the city was pure gold, translucent as glass. But there was no sign of a temple for the Lord God, the sovereign strong, and the Lamb are the temple. There's no longer going to be this measuring stick that tells you if you're good enough for the house of God. There's no longer going to be this, this yardstick that tells you this, this religious law that says whether or not you're good enough for the things of God, because the one, Jesus, that's greater than the temple is now going to be what measures you. Now watch this. This is where it gets really fascinating, and if you don't fall in love with Jesus after this, I don't know what's wrong with us. I mean, the idea is that we read this next passage of Scripture, and our minds are like, <laughs> mind bomb. Watch this. It says, the city doesn't need sun or moon for light. 
God's glory is its light. The Lamb, its lamp. The nations will walk in its light, and earth's going, uh, earth's kings bring, uh, bring in their splendor. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there won't be any night. They'll bring the glory and the honor of the nations into the city. Nothing dirty or defiled will get into the city, and no one who defiles or deceives. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will get in. Now, what does that mean? You see, back in the ancient days, what they believed was is they would measure your life at the end of time. They would write your life in a book. So Daniel chapter 5 gives us a story. And they would measure your life by what was written about you. Your value was, was based upon what was written about you at the end of your days. And so Daniel chapter 5 gives us a story of whenever the king and his officers, they all begin to trip out because as they're parting in their palace, Writing begins to, to happen on the wall, and they see this hand appear out of nowhere, and this writing begins to happen. And so the king calls for all of his interpreters and all of his sorcerers, calls for everybody to come in and try to interpret what's going on, but everybody fails. And then someone says, King, don't be discouraged. There's a young man who we've captured. His name is Daniel, and he is favored by his God. So Daniel comes in, and Daniel begins to read what was written, and if you study what Daniel says, he pretty much tells the king this. He says, to be honest with you, it's not good. Your life has no weight to it because all you do is live for yourself. Your life has no value to it because all you do is make decisions for you. You consume based on yourself, your hunger, your own fleshly appetites. It's pretty much what he tells him. So why is this story here that I'm reading so revolutionary? Because the Bible says that the Lamb's book of life is the book of God's life. And you want to know what's amazing about the book of God's life is that he literally signs it with your name. He puts your name into his book. So that means that everything that he ever accomplished in this world, your name is tied to it. It is pretty powerful. That means all of his successes, your name is now tied to everything that Jesus did. You want to know what it's like? It's like your favorite author. You stand in a long line to get their autograph. And there's just something so incredible about when they put your name into their book. Just something awesome about that. Whenever, whenever your favorite singer signs your name on their album, something incredible about that. What the Lamb's Book of Life is this, is this is God's way of saying to us, you are no longer measured by the standards and rules of the world. You are now measured by my love for you. And because your name is in the book of my life, you can now go into the places that I go. 
Can I tell somebody something here today as we come to a close? I don't know who you are. I don't know what your story is. Some of you, I may. But there's someone here today from the last few weeks, the thought of just ending it all has just been tormenting you. Just calling it a day, the grand finale. Thinking about notes, thinking about leaving behind a, a, a note, telling people you're sorry. But before you make the worst decision of your life, can I introduce you to Jesus? And can I tell you something? Before you start asking yourself, God, where are you in my story? Can I tell you something? Revelation 21 teaches us this important truth, that we have it all wrong. That God is not in our story. We are in his story. We're in his life. We're in his biography. And he puts his name and he signs our name into that book. And we find our name in there. And we realize something so powerful. We realize that where I failed in my faith and where I fail, I feel like I fail in my walk with God and I feel like I'm not good enough and I feel like this and that. Whenever we begin to look at the story through the eyes of Jesus, we realize something, that Jesus steps on planet Earth. And when we say, God, I feel like I'm all by myself, can I tell you something? Jesus felt that. When we say, God, I feel like I'm, 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 I'm rejected and abandoned. Can I tell you something? Jesus felt that. God, I feel like, like I've been forsaken. Jesus felt that. I feel like I'm, you know, I'm this and I'm that. Can I tell you? Jesus felt that. But can I also tell you something? Jesus knows what it is to press on no matter what. He knows what it is to keep pressing on and say to the world around him, I refuse to measure my value based on what you think of me. I'm going to look at myself the way God sees me. I'm no longer going to carry the pressures and the weight of trying to, to promote and endorse how valuable I am and how successful I am and, and how smart I am and how you know, good looking I am or whatever the situation may be because all of that is petty whenever I realize that God himself has invited me into his narrative. And I'm now measured by someone else's story because my name's in the Lamb's Book of Life I've overcome sin. Amen. Because my name's in the Lamb's book of life. I've overcome death. Because your name's in the Lamb book's in the Lamb the Lamb's book of life, you've overcome every obstacle. Do everything in your power to make sure that your name is written. Everything in your power. Now, before we stand and pray, actually, I want us to we can. I want us to close our eyes. I don't want anyone looking around. Pastors, you're you're more than welcome to to look around. I want everyone to just just 
God, here in the next few moments, there are going to be some people that do a very courageous thing. They're going to admit discreetly that they have been measuring themselves by broken systems. They've been measuring themselves by a broken yardstick. They've been measuring themselves by their own acts. And they haven't been measuring themselves by the greatest act of love that you did on the cross. God, I pray in the next few moments that you would begin to heal, begin to just love on some people in this room that shouldn't be worried anymore about what other people think about them, but should rejoice in knowing what you think about them. If you're in this room today and you have really been so discouraged that you have really thought you just made a mess of it all, you just want to call it call it a day. Just want to just nonchalantly bow out and just check out of life. I want you to discreetly just raise your hand. for everyone to stand and if we can all raise our hands together. Can we just raise our hands all across the building? And the reason that we raise our hands is because this is our way of saying we surrender. We surrender our our, our thoughts about how or what we think about ourselves. We surrender our our ways of measuring how good we are. We surrender it all to your life and to your ways. Father, I pray in your name that you would begin to do a work in some amazing people's lives here today. God, our name is written in the lamp, in your book and we realize that we are in your story. We realize that even on our worst day where we feel so far from you, so long as we hold true to the faith that is within us, that we are forever aligned in the empty pages of the Lamb's Book of Life, or we share the pages with others that press on just like we do. God, we thank you because we realize now that we are good enough because of how you measure us because how and what you say about us. God, I pray for the entrepreneur that's reaching out to be successful. God, I pray that you would bless them according to their disciplines and their passions. But God, I pray that we would not make the mistake that says I'm valuable because how much I make. But that we would look at it clearly and accurately and say I'm valuable because of what you did on the cross. And I pray, God, for that 15, 16-year-old that's walking through the hallways of their school. I pray, God, as they, as they have these aspirations to go on and do better things in life, colleges, universities. God, I pray that they would not make the mistake that says, I'm valuable because I'm smarter. 
I'm valuable because I'm prettier. But I pray that they would look at it the right way and say I'm valuable because of what you did on the cross, God. And this entire time, I've been trying to get your name into my book. And I've been looking at it all wrong the entire time. You're so gracious enough to put my name into your life. And because of that, people look at the end of my life and they don't measure me by what I've done, but they measure me by what you've done. I thank you for that. Thank you for that. If you feel the Holy Ghost in here, I want you to just raise your voice. Just, I mean, if you could just kind of pray softly for some people in here. But God's going to do some very special things here in the next few moments. For more information about who we are, we invite you to go to thepromisecenter.com. God bless you.